This is The Space Shot, episode 204 for December 4th, 2017, Gemini 7 and the Mars Pathfinder. Hey everybody, welcome to a live edition of The Space Shot. I'm John Mulnix. Apologies for releasing today's episode a little bit later than usual. I was driving most of the day yesterday, and I didn't have a chance to record ahead of time, but I think that worked out all right. If you're watching the live stream, you can probably see what's behind me right now. That is the Gemini 10 capsule. We're talking about Gemini 7 today, so just wanted to show you guys what the size of the capsule was like, and that's why I've got Gemini right there. (laughs) Gemini 7 was launched on this day in 1965. American astronauts Frank Borman and Jim Lovell lifted off from Launch Complex 19, starting the Gemini 7 mission, which, among other things, demonstrated the feasibility of a two-week spaceflight. If you've seen the Gemini spacecraft, or if you're watching the live stream right now, you might be asking yourself how astronauts could spend two weeks inside of a spacecraft that small. It's pretty tiny. I've asked myself that question every time I've read about the missions or seen the Gemini capsule, and to say that it's cramped is an understatement. After spending half of Sunday driving in my little Honda Civic, which is roomier than a Gemini capsule, I know there's literally no way I could cram myself into that small of a space for two weeks. Living and working in such a small space presented odd challenges for things like eating, stowing trash, and for personal hygiene. The limited size of the spacecraft meant that every cubic inch was occupied by supplies or waste. In order to not have trash floating around the cabin, Borman and Lovell stored waste behind their seats, among other places. The food waste problem, however, wasn't the only thing to be worried about on a two-week flight. Something as simple as using the bathroom was a exciting proposition, shall we say, since there was no toilet in the spacecraft. According to the Gemini 7 mission report, quote, the waste management procedure, though operationally possible, I love that, had the following problem areas. The urine sample bag leaked. The leak was probably caused when the bag was placed on the sample connection. Both crew members had difficulty with leaking receivers. Not exactly something you want in zero-g or in that small of a spacecraft. Thankfully, the crew did have sanitary wipes they were able to use to stay as clean as one can possibly stay during a two-week spaceflight in something smaller than my Honda Civic. One of the primary objectives of the Gemini 7 was to show that the astronauts could work in a shirt-sleeve environment, that way they wouldn't have to wear their spacesuit for the duration of the flight. Not wearing a suit inside the spacecraft gave them greater mobility and comfort a necessity for longer trips to the moon during the Apollo program. The launch photos for this mission show Borman and Lovell wearing a a special lightweight pressure suit that had a polycarbonate visor and zippered entry system. So most spacesuits had a different type of setup where it took multiple people to try to get you inside the spacesuit. These were designed to where the astronaut could literally like climb through the back and then be zippered up. This grasshopper suit, as it was called by the astronauts, was more comfortable to put on and take off in the cramped confines of the Gemini spacecraft. 
It looks similar to the new suit that Boeing has developed for their Starliner spacecraft. The Grasshopper suit was also lighter than previous iterations, and part of making sure that that suit was easy to use was making sure that it didn't weigh 30, 40, 50 pounds. During this mission, there was a debate about having both astronauts take off their suits at the same time, something that did worry a few people at NASA. The astronauts reported they were more comfortable with their suits off, and since this mission was meant to show that they could work without suits on, they made requests to take them off. To the relief of the sweaty astronauts, everyone from Werner von Braun to the flight surgeon for Gemini 7 eventually agreed that it was better that the astronauts take off their spacesuits. Another objective for this mission was to test the station-keeping and rendezvous techniques with another Gemini spacecraft. The rendezvous of two spacecraft was essential in proving techniques that would be used on a mission to the moon, since the command module would have to link up with the lunar module at least twice. The Gemini 6 and 7 missions were referred to as the Spirit of 76, 7 and 6 being the Gemini spacecraft missions, clearly not the year that the flights took place. The rendezvous between those two spacecraft took place on December 15th, and you guessed it, I'll be talking more about the rendezvous on that day. The Gemini missions started to make space <coughs> travel seem more routine, especially for the two astronauts that were crammed inside that thing for two weeks. During the final days of their mission, Borman and Lovell were starting to become quite bored with the spaceflight. Borman read parts of Mark Twain's Roughing It, while Jim Lovell read Drums Along the Mohawk by Walter Edmonds. Thankfully, NASA has been integrating free time into astronauts' schedules on more recent missions, helping ease the stresses of longer-term spaceflight. Here's a quote I found interesting uh, while re researching for today's episode. Quote, the routine loses news values, and the scorecards on the Russia versus America in the space race vanished when the lead clearly passed from east to west. That was from On the Shoulders of Giants, a history of Project Gemini, and it's available online, so check out the show notes for a link to that video, or to that book, sorry. After a flight that lasted 13 days and 18 and a half hours, Gemini 7 splashed down in the Atlantic, marking the end of a successful mission. Both astronauts were more than ready to get out of the spacecraft, and lucky for them, the USS Wasp was standing by, ready to take them on board. I do have one piece of planetary science history for today's episode, so stick around a little longer. The Mars Pathfinder launched on this day in 1996. Pathfinder is an example of what NASA can do on a low-cost mission, with the budget for that flight being roughly $280 million for the vehicle, operations on Earth, and a rocket. Pathfinder had a unique airbag design that would later be used on the Spirit and Opportunity rovers. This airbag, coupled with a heat shield, parachute, and retro rockets, allowed the spacecraft to slow to a landing speed after traveling 300 million miles or so over seven months. Pathfinder operated for 85 days, and the Sojourner rover for seven. Sojourner only weighed 23 pounds, but it was packed with instruments and cameras. On the old website for the Pathfinder rover, 
oh, sorry, on the old website for the Pathfinder mission. The Sojourner rover is described as being the size of a kid's wagon. So think a small Red Rider wagon and you've got an idea of how big that little rover was. Its six wheels provided mobility and gave it a blistering top speed of 1.9 feet per, per minute or 0.02 miles per hour. Sojourner was important for three reasons. It gathered thermal data on itself, tracking the difference between day and night cycles. It was also designed to examine material abrasion, specifically how the wheels reacted to Martian soil. Lastly, it studied material adherence, which looked at how much a solar cell could function clean versus dirty. The lander and landing site were renamed the Carl Sagan Memorial Station in honor of the late astronomer for his contributions to astronomy and space exploration. I do want to say thank you to everybody that's joined me here for the first live video on the space shot. I hope you enjoyed the video and today's episode. If you guys have any questions, please shoot me a message. I'm more than happy to respond. It's a little bit tricky to do this with how I've got my phone set up on the tripod here, so I won't be able to answer questions right now. But as soon as I end the video, I'm more than happy to answer any questions you might have. Um, I would love if you guys could leave a review for the podcast in iTunes. It does help more people find out about the show. I'd also appreciate it if you could check out the Cosmosphere podcast. They were gracious enough to let me record here. So again, if you have any questions, shoot me a message. Be more than happy to answer those. Thank you everybody for joining me today and I'll talk to you later. Since you're here, why don't you let me know what you think of the podcast by leaving a review on iTunes. It takes just a minute to do that and it makes a huge difference because it helps even more people find the show. Make sure you subscribe so you don't miss any of the daily episodes. As always, the show notes have more information on today's episode. You can hit me up on Instagram and Twitter. Find me at John Molnix. I'm always up to chat. You can also connect with me on Facebook. Just search the space shot or click the link in the show notes. Tomorrow, STS-108 and routine spaceflight. I'm John Molnix, and I'll catch you on the flip side.